uh, we're going to dive into part two tonight of um, Just Not Normal. And uh, if you weren't here last week, I'm going to give you a brief review. Uh, we introduced you to five students last week that were um, struggling with some serious issues. Uh, they had, um, we had uh, Mike with us last week. Uh, apparently, um, Mike is a character on Jersey Shore that I was fully not aware of, and I kept saying the situation, and everybody thought that was funny, but I had no idea what I was talking about. Just go ahead and tell you that up front. But anyway, but Mike was uh, struggling with al- alcohol, and not just like he just liked to party, but he was an alcoholic, and that was his situation. And there it is right there, and I didn't even plan on that. So anyway, three of you thought that was funny. That's great. So we're off to a good start tonight. But, um, and then we had some other students that were struggling with, like, um, you know, they were confused sexually, um, some with eating disorders. Uh, you know, a guy was, you know, having a gambling addiction, and that was his deal. And, you know, the, the reality is that we live on campuses, and we live among students that, that there are students that are carrying addictions and struggles, And what we talked about last week was what would it be like if we created an environment here or a ministry where people came into and they didn't get what they expected they would get, that it would be just not normal for them to experience a place where they're welcome, loved, and accepted. We looked at this verse in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, and um, I'm just going to look at a couple of them. It's 5, 14 through 19, but uh, we're going to start with in verse 14. It says, Uh, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And we said, you know, that Christ's love would be our motivation because we know that Christ has died for us and that he was raised again for our sins. And then in verse 18, it says this, it says, um, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation is that we would announce to the world that we live in that God is not counting men and women's sins against them. He doesn't count your sins against you because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the message of reconciliation. So what if we welcomed people who came in to this environment? They were struggling with addictions. They were struggling in their circumstances. And we welcomed, we loved, we accepted them. And then through time, we were able to communicate to them the message of hope. That God doesn't count their sins against them anymore because of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what that would look like if we created that kind of place here? I think people would walk away and go, that's just not normal. That's just not normal. I've never experienced anything like that. Well, tonight I want to introduce you to uh, two more characters, two more students. And um, they were among us last week. You just didn't get to meet them and um, they're, they're a huge part of us uh, trying to create an environment that everyone's welcome, loved, and accepted. And the first one is uh, Righteous Rick. This is Righteous Rick right here. And um, Righteous Rick is uh, an honor student at his university. He accepted Christ at uh, the age of 11 
um, comes from, you know, a loving home. He's the firstborn in the family there. And uh, righteous Rick, here's the deal. He just, he thinks he, he lives life the right way. That's his whole deal. And when, you, when we were introducing the people that struggled last week, he's like, man, that never happened to me. I, could, I would never struggle with alcohol. I mean, that, just, that wouldn't happen to me. And then we've got uh, Susie here, self-righteous Susie down there. And uh, self-righteous Susie, she's a sophomore here in town. She commutes to school. And um, she became a Christian when she was 15. She's kind of doing it right. When she was, uh, you know, when she became a Christian, she started dating the president of her campus ministry on her high school campus. And she's like, kind of, you know, I've got life all together and that whole thing. But as she heard about the students that we were trying to welcome, love, and accept last week in her heart, she was like, man, how could somebody struggle being confused sexually? I mean, that would never happen to me. And we could talk about self-righteousness for a while tonight, and after kind of diving into preparing for tonight, I'm like, man, we should do a whole series on this whole idea. But here's the thing I, I want to get at to, uh, with self-righteousness is that self-righteous people, um, they have an attitude about themselves. It's an attitude that they believe that somebody owes them something because of the way that they're living their life. And, and in fact, they would never verbalize this out loud, but, but, it, but you know, in a conversation with God, they'd be like, God, I'm living my life right. I mean, are you, when are you going to bless me? I mean, can you not see the way I'm living? I'm doing the right things. And then my friends who are not doing the right things, you seem to be blessing them all the time. And it's, it's that kind of attitude that isn't going to help us create a culture that's just not normal. And in fact, there's a verse I want us to go back to from last week. It's specific to uh, righteous Rick and self-righteous Susie. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 15. It says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And see, here's, here's the deal with Rick and Susie. They, they put their faith in Christ. They come from great homes. They understand the gospel to a T, but life is still all about them. Susie wants to be in the spotlight and she believes that she sh- should be in the spotlight because she's living her life in her mind the right way. And Rick, he wants to be set up on the pedestal and be like, it's all about me. Look at me. I'm doing life right. But verse 15 says, we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, Self-righteousness creates an obstacle for us if we want to create an environment, to create a ministry that's welcoming, that loves people and accepts them. And uh, there's a dilemma that I discovered in this whole journey, though, and this was crazy for me. Um, I realized that if we were going to welcome the, you know, the, the student that struggles with pornography, we're going to welcome the student that struggles with alcohol or the confused, the sexually confused, that we also have to welcome the self-righteous 
I mean, if we're going to be a, a ministry that welcomes all people, we have to welcome the self-righteous as well. And um, that's, that poses a problem when you're doing a series like this. I was like, I didn't think about that when God, when we were getting into this. But it's true. If we're going to welcome all, we've got to welcome the self-righteous. And some of you struggle with this. And though you would never say it out loud, self-righteousness comes when we compare ourselves to other people. And we get into the comparison game. And see, the criticism against the self-righteous person is um, that we would often say, and I say we as in people that would criticize self-righteous, not that I'm not self-righteous or anything like that, but I'm just saying the criticism that's thrown out to self-righteous people is, you know, hey, why are you so harsh? Why are you speaking that way? Why are you putting yourself on the pedestal? And their simple response is, you know, hey, I'm just speaking the truth. That's all I'm doing. I'm just communicating the truth. That's what self-righteous people believe that they're doing. But see, the problem with self-righteous people when they speak the truth, all that the world around them hears is, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I'm right, and you're wrong. And that isn't helping us create a culture that's welcoming, that loves people and accepts them where they are in life. See, the self-righteous person, the dilemma it creates for each of us here is that it communicates a message of rejection. That's what happens with the self-righteous. And so they go, but I'm just speaking the truth. So here's the thing about the self-righteous people. We've got the scale over here. And they go, they're kind of living life. And they're like, man, all I'm doing is communicating the truth. That's what I do. I communicate the truth. And, and truth is important. I just want to say that tonight. I don't want to, you know, belittle that. If we're going to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, we've got to speak the truth. We've got to communicate the truth. They've got to know the truth at some point. But, and, and, you know, the self-righteous is going, yeah, truth is important. And so they just like way down, you know, truth all the way. And it's like, you know, I'm telling the truth. But when we do that, no one hears us. The world doesn't hear us. They don't understand it because all they hear in that moment is you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And so oftentimes we react and we're, we're, we're over here on the side of grace. And it's like, you know, hey, grace, as I'm dropping blocks here, oh, not enough grace here, you know. We got to get more grace deal and it's not moving at all. This is great, and I'm going to, we got to back off the truth a little bit for this thing to work. <laughs> so here's the deal. You got grace, and you knock out the truth, and you kind of balance things out there. This is great. And this is kind of what we do. In all seriousness, we go for the grace side of things. And it really doesn't work that way as well. If we're going to, like, communicate a, a welcoming environment, an accepting environment, a loving environment... It doesn't work that way. And, and there's a verse in the Bible, and it describes Jesus. It's John 1, 14. And this is what we've got to come to understand. This is the reality about Jesus. It says, the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And see, here's what happens to you and I as humans when we react to people that are self-righteous and the truth, 
we get over here with grace and it's like, man, we've got to love those people. And we, we start talking about Jen last week who had this eating disorder. And we're like, man, all Jen needs right now is grace. I mean, that's what she needs is grace. And we're like, grace, grace, grace. And it's like, really? Is that all Jen needs right now is grace? Seriously, I mean, is that what Jen needs in her situation? Does she need grace or does she need some truth? I mean, does she, I mean she, she's got a problem and so she might need some, some truth. And it's like, no, 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 she needs grace. And it's like, well, we'll, we'll give her some grace and then we'll kind of give her some truth, you know, and we'll give her some grace and we'll give her some truth. We kind of go back and forth. But here's what the verse says. It says that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. The word was made flesh and he was full of grace and he was full of truth. And see, our relationship with God, we sometimes think God kind of works on this balancing scale. I didn't know what was going on, but the scale broke here. That's what's going on. Sorry. And... Um, and we got this, and we think that God kind of is like, okay, sometimes, I mean, God's so amazing. He knows exactly when I need grace, and then he's going to give me the truth, you know, when I need the truth. And, and then, and we try to mock that as well as like, hey, my friends that are in their struggles, it's like, hey, here, I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them grace. But, you know, I'm also, I, sometimes I kind of want to speak the truth, you know. And Christ isn't like that. Christ doesn't go back and forth. Okay, here's the situation with Christ. Christ is 100% truth, 100% all the time truth. At the same time, he's 100% grace. He doesn't balance back and forth with us. He is the son of God who is full of grace and truth. And it's 100% all the time equal. It doesn't balance. And so if, if we had it, if we had enough, you know, blocks over here with grace, it would be to infinity and beyond right here, column, okay? To infinity and beyond right here, grace, okay? Not Buzz Lightyear, but just grace, 100% grace, okay? And this column right here of truth would be to infinity and beyond. It'd be 100% both sides, grace and truth. Grace and truth, that's what it would be. Well, the problem is you and I are humans. So how do we show grace and truth to the world that we live in? That's the, the dilemma that you and I have. How do we not just try to balance out, but how do we be 100% truth and 100% grace at the same time? In 2006, I moved to Midtown. It was a totally different experience for me because I hadn't spent much time in Midtown, and I'm in the heart of Midtown, I'll just say that. And um, I live right at Piedmont Park, and it was a wake-up call and um, in some serious ways. And uh, so there's a restaurant beside my um, uh, condo, and I didn't have a TV, so I started hanging out in there for months, like, because I didn't have a TV for months. For a while, I was on back order. I wanted this nice TV, and it was going to splurge as the bachelor that I am. And I was like, I'm going to spend it selfishly on my, myself, and I'll just... That's total confession there. And then um, got into the whole situation, was like, man, I need to watch TV. Didn't have a TV, so I went over to this restaurant next door. And in the process, I got to know um, the owner, one of the owners. And, and uh, 
And we started developing this relationship. You know, when you're in these relationships of meeting people in a new place, I tend to not want to tell them what I do for a living because, you know, then it's going to, like, turn the whole conversation awkward and the relationship awkward. And so for, like, weeks, I did not tell them what I did. I just was like, yeah, I work with students over, you know, on the campuses here, you know, that kind of And they're like, what do you do? And I was like, um, do you teach? And I'm like, uh, kind of, sort of, yeah, teaching's good. You know, that's good. And um, anyway, but I'm going to call uh, the owner Sheila, and I'm probably going to mess this up, and I'll say her real name in a second. But uh, we became friends, and over time, we developed a relationship. She was married. Her, her husband at the time was co-owner of the, the restaurant, and um, crazy deal. Um, just months went by. We got to know each other, and then she found out that I was a pastor, and um, cool, that's good, and she still accepted me and didn't think I was crazy, and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, that's good. And then I found out that her younger brother played for the University of Maryland football team. And uh, so one Saturday, the following fall, I'm watching TV. And in the middle of watching another football game, game uh, ESPN breaks in with a special update. And they're life flighting a guy out of the Miami-Maryland football game. And it was her brother. I had no idea. I mean, I was just watching the TV. So I get a phone call the next week, and, uh, and it's Sheila, and she's like, hey, I just was calling to see if you'd pray for my brother. I don't know if you saw, but my brother got hurt, spinal injury, in the football game last weekend. And I was like, no way, this is crazy that, one, this is her brother, and two, that she's calling me, asking me for prayer. This is really, really cool. Months go by, her brother ended up okay, by the way, and is doing great, and um, she ends up, her marriage falls apart. They end up getting a divorce, and I'm telling you, it rocked Sheila's world. And for the next few months, I mean, she was like, I am going to make him pay and wish that, you know, he, uh, you know, realized what he was missing. And I mean, she, I'm just going to be another confession moment here with you guys, because we're all family here. Um, She's beautiful. I just want to say that, and I don't mean that in, in any awkward way. I'm just confessing it, Okay. She's beautiful. But if she wasn't beautiful before, I mean, she was like, it is on right now. And like, she went on this diet that she didn't need to go on. She went on this workout regimen and she was like, brown chicka brown, you're going to wish that you did not mess with this right here, you know? And I mean, I kept going in the bar and I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? I mean, what got into you? And she laid it down, and she was like, I am going to make him regret it, and she has, and I, it's amazing. I mean, I'm like, whoa, Sheila, what are you doing? Well, some man recognized that and took Sheila up on the offer, and they're now engaged, and so Sheila asked me if I would do the wedding, which is like really cool in a lot of ways, but then I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be really awkward, and um and, and, you know, privilege. I mean, that she would go, I don't know a pastor. Would you do the wedding? And I'm like, but we have kind of things that we want to do for marriages to set them up to be healthy. And so I just said, hey, if, if you get to that point, I said, like, when are you, you going to have the wedding? And she's like, we don't know yet. I was like, well, if you get to that point, you really want me to do it, then let's talk about it. Kind of just blew by the first time. Two weeks goes by. I'm, I'm back in the restaurant. She's like, hey... I'd really like to talk to you about the wedding. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's have the conversation. I was like, here's the deal. At, at my church, we really believe in healthy marriages. And um, for you 
to do this, I need six months' notice. That's the first thing. It's just like kind of how we do. And, um, and the reason, I just want to say this to you, Sheila, the reason we do that is we want you to get premarital counseling. And she's like, oh, trust me, I know how important that is. I'm like, okay, this is good, good response so far. And, um, and so, because she knows from having her heart broken from the first marriage. And so, anyway, conversation goes on, and we didn't get too far in kind of the next stipulations. And I'm just waiting for her to come back around and ask again. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'm so nervous because I'm going to have to tell her the truth. And the truth is, if, if, if I'm going to perform their wedding, that there's going to be some guidelines that they're going to have to go by. And one is they're, they're not going to be able to live together, okay? That's, that's Sheila's reality right now. And they're not going to have to stop having sex. That's number two, okay? And I know that conversation is not going to go very well. It's going to be messy. It really is. And... And I'm just wondering how in, the, in these moments, you know, when you have somebody like Sheila in your life, can you be 100% for the truth and 100% grace? How can you communicate that? Because that's what we have to do. If we're going to create an environment, we're going to be a ministry that welcomes, loves, and accepts people in their struggles and in their circumstances. We've got to be full of grace and truth. I've got a passage I want us to look at that I think will help explain this. It's Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. It says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. You've got to get the beginning of that verse then we will no longer be infants. See, there's a part that we've got to decide we're going to step up and start growing. And whether it's the self-righteous person or whether it's the people last week that identified with the struggles of the, of the students that we're trying to reach because they've struggled with the, their, those own, those very same sins, those very same addictions. It's like we've got to step up and not be infants anymore. Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. And there it is. How are you 100% full of grace and 100% full of truth? You do it by speaking the truth in love. You speak the truth in love. And if you speak the truth in love, then we grow up in Christ. Well, what, what does that look like? I mean, that's, that's the issue right now in my relationship with Sheila. Can I just tell you that? I don't have very much investment in the relationship, just being totally honest. I go in there and I eat food. That's what I do, Okay. And I go in there, I've gone in there enough that, you know, she knows who I am. 
I know who she is. We can have conversation. She knows my parents when they come in town, those kind of things. We know each other, but I've done nothing to invest in the relationship. I've done nothing to say to her or to communicate to her that I love her in a healthy way. And that's what we have to do. We have to commit to love. We have to commit to love. And when you commit to love, then, then grace and truth is communicated on both sides. Because, see, when you commit to love and when you commit to speaking the truth in love, it's going to be messy. Can I just tell you that? When you confront someone with truth, it's going to be a mess. It just happens that way. But what holds everything together is that when you're still there, days and weeks down the road, when you're committed to the relationship and they come to trust that and know that, then they can receive the truth from you. And so for me, if and when I have this messy conversation with Sheila, it's going to be messy, but I have to still be present and be committed to my relationship with her, even after the mess. And for us, if we're going to be a ministry that welcomes, accepts, and loves all people, then we have to be committed to speaking the truth in love and to loving those we're trying to reach. And here's the beauty of it, if we actually figure this out and commit to this and do it. Verse, uh, well, I'll, I'll go back to 15. Can I go back to 15? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Verse 16. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting lig- ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The whole body builds and grows itself up in love as each part does its work. I want so badly for the people that you come into contact with, that you interact with, the people that you know, and the people that walk through these doors on a Monday night or on a Sunday, I want them to walk away going, that just is not normal. I want them to feel welcomed, loved, and accepted. But for that to happen, each part, each part, each part has to be committed to that. And that's every single one of you here. That's what it's going to take. And so I'm inviting you. Would you help us? Would you help us reach out to the world that we live in and to the campuses that you live on? That we could create an environment, a ministry that's just not normal. That people would walk into and not get what they expect out of what they would think ministries or churches would offer them. That they would be welcomed, loved, and accepted. 
And would you begin to speak the truth in love in your relationships so that people could experience grace and they could experience truth. Truth that will set them free. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for every single student that's here tonight. I thank you for where you've placed them. I thank you for their circumstances. And even in the midst of um, their pain, God, I thank you for their lives because I know that you want to use them, God, and you have a plan and a purpose for every single student here. And Father, I know that grace and truth is, is a hard thing to figure out, and I know loving people is a lot easier to stand on a stage and talk about than actually do. And Father, I just pray, God, that we would become a ministry that reaches people that are broken, that are hurting, that are hopeless, and that we could communicate the message to them. It says your sins have been forgiven, that your sins don't count against you. And that people and students in the city all over would begin to experience something that's just not normal. And so, God, would you lead us to do that? Would you show us what that looks like individually? Because, God, I really don't know what that looks like for every person in here, but you know, God, and that's what I love about your Holy Spirit, that you're in us and that you can lead us to do that. And so I'm just asking, God, that you would lead us from this place tonight and that you would um, help us shine your light to the world that we live in. And God, I pray that in the days and weeks ahead that we would begin to see people with their broken lives be put back together and healed because they've come to hear the truth of who you are, how good you are, and how great you are. In Jesus' name, amen.